When we talk about memoir, there are so many ways we could go, so many things to discuss. Today, my guest is Robin Shepper, and she is the author of Finding My Way. Robin has an incredible story. This is a memoir that has multiple themes running through it. The themes that Robin tackles are political aspirations, the search for political transparency, identity, and family. And it's really incredible. It's it's a great story. It's her search for her biological father, among other things. So today we are chatting with Robin about her memoir, writing a memoir that's so deeply personal and how do you do that? And then also how do you get a memoir published when you are not a famous person? That's a really good question. All of that and more today on the Writer Spark podcast. Hello, hello. I'm Melissa Bourbon, and this is the Writer Spark podcast where business, creativity, and the craft of writing converge. Welcome. 15 years ago, I was an avid reader, but not a writer. I didn't know anything about the actual craft, and I knew next to nothing about the publishing industry. But I had a dream to become a published author, and I set out to learn everything I could. Now, I'm a number one Amazon and national best-selling author of more than 35 novels. I've published traditionally, and I recently plunged into the world of indie publishing. And I teach people like you how to grow in their craft and find success in this ever-changing industry. I'm an ordinary person, a wife, a mom, a daughter, a teacher, living in a small North Carolina town. Through Spark, I am doing what I love more than anything in the world, which is teaching and helping others on their writing journeys. I'm here as your partner, as you navigate your own writing journey. I'm here to help you understand the essential elements of the writing craft, to build your confidence, and to help you find the success you desire. Welcome to the Writer Spark Podcast. Today we are talking memoirs with my guest Robin Shepper. Welcome, Robin. I'm so glad that you are here. I'm so glad to be here with you, Melissa. Thank you. Um, I love having such interesting guests on the Writer Spark podcast, and you have such a wonderful breadth of experience. I like to start with kind of getting the origin story of the authors that I chat with. So I would just love to get a little bit of your background. Let's start with that. Uh, my background. Yeah, sure. So um, I am not a professional writer. Um, I My background is in communications, uh, mainly political communications. So I've worked on four presidential campaigns, worked in the U.S. Senate, uh, worked in the White House twice, um, once for uh, Bill Clinton, and then uh, later worked for First Lady Michelle Obama. So my background is mainly politics. Um, and I have a small consulting firm. I'm based in Colorado and I do, I work with nonprofits and governmental agencies working on their strategic plan. So I do a lot of writing, but a different type of writing. <laughs> yeah. Non-emotional writing, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, that's, that's really interesting. So your background is, um, I mean, I've, you know, read the book and read things about you, but your background is that your mom was a stewardess. Your grandmother owned a brothel, right? And you were searching for your biological father. And that's kind of how this memoir, well, let's, let's just talk about how did this memoir come about? I know that you've written stories and, you know, I've written for a long time, but how, when and how did you decide to 
put this into a memoir and say, I'm, this is what I'm going to write. So, so you touched on this. I, so I've been writing short stories for a while, um, for many years, uh, just as an intellectual exercise. And many people had said, you need to write a book. Uh, you have such great stories. So it was really during COVID. I was hiking with a girlfriend and she, uh, she was right. She's writing an academic book um, or she, she finished writing it as well. And so she challenged me and she said, you keep talking about writing a book. When are you going to actually do it? So during COVID, um, I was not as social like, like so many people. Um, so it took me about two years, but I started taking my short stories and trying to figure out a narrative arc. And the, the theme really that um, inspired me is in 2019, uh, through consumer DNA, I found my biological father. I kept wanting to write a book, but I didn't have a good ending. And so finally finding out who he was then allowed me to figure out an ending and then put my short stories together as, um, um, I mean, it's a story that starts with me as a five-year-old and keeps going. Uh, but really the thread is my ser- the search for my biological father. So when you talk about you, you know, work to create a narrative arc and to identify theme, but I would say there's multiple themes in this book. Did you... You know, you, you, so you set out to find your biological father, and that was definitely a focus of the stories. But is that the only theme you identified, or did you identify other themes kind of going in and know that you wanted to thread them all together, which is what happens? And it's, you know, it's really wonderfully done. But there's a, you know, there's a lot that you touch on. Yeah. Um, well, I think I wanted to look at not just like how do I find my dad, but how was it? what were the issues that came up for me as a kid of not having a dad and growing up with a single mom and, um, and, a and a grandmother who was really my other parent um, until I was in my early twenties. So I, I don't think I reached out for themes right away. I didn't say, Oh, I want to talk about transparency. Um, what helped me a lot is I'm a big fan of post-its. So I, I wrote, um, I had written a ton of chapters. The book is really half of what I actually wrote, but I started writing chapter titles and kind of what was in the chapter, like what did uh, I learn? So there's a chapter where I did my first protest in high school. So I wrote that down. Um, and then just themes that I knew that not themes, but incidents in my life. And I put it up on literally on the wall a bunch of post-its and I first did it chronologically. And then I started thinking about, oh, well, what are some themes that are coming out here um, through through these stories? So um, I was taught, I had a great writing teacher that said, um, yeah. show me, don't tell Every me. Every great writing teacher says um, that. <laughs> so <laughs> um, so I, I would write it and then I would think, oh, okay, so what is this really about? Um, and um, But the themes really came later because I really also subscribed to my writing teacher's um, adage as well, just write, don't mm-hmm. think about it, just keep writing. Um, so I just kept writing. And then when I had these post-its, then it started becoming clear to me that issues of authenticity, transparency, um, honesty, um, me constantly uh, questioning the status quo, for lack of a better word, um, uh, are things that keep kept coming up. And so 
as I put these chapters together, I, I started seeing some consistency, um, which was hard to see at the very beginning when you just write a story, but it really started writing the stories, putting on the post-its and then seeing, Ooh, are there, are there some things, some threads that piece this together? Yeah, that's so interesting because I, I, I teach a memoir writing class actually. And one of the things that we do is talk about theme, but not so much as identifying it out of the gate, but seeing what evolves as you write your stories and then pulling more out to kind of expand upon that theme or those themes that you touch on. Rarely is there just one theme in anything. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that, that, and you touched on something else saying, what did I learn? Those are the two most important things, in my opinion, in a memoir, because it's, it's trying to kind of tap into the collective consciousness, right, of the people that are reading it, of our society. And then what did you learn and what can they learn in the process? Mm-hmm. Yes, so what were your, right. what were your, uh, some of your takeaways from writing this memoir? Um, well, having been a, a woman, um, you know, I just turned 60. Um, so I was born in the 60s, grew up in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and really started in the workplace in the mid 80s. And so the themes that the lesson I learned really was that as women, Yes, we've come a long way, but there's still so much more to go. And so part of the reason I wrote it as well is I was hoping to inspire other women to uh, hear my story that uh, the big theme for me is always life is not a straight line, mm-hmm. but we keep moving forward. And if you and if we approach our careers and life with authenticity and honesty, then um, we can have more. I don't want to say valuable is not the right words, but um, have careers that that we value so that it doesn't feel like we're just working. Um, So I think the thing that I realized was that I'm not the only one and I'm standing on the soldier shoulders of women before me that are now in their seventies or eighties. But I think the, the feedback that I've gotten from people about my book, the, you know, the content is that, um, more of us need to support each other, especially from the workplace and um, and all the things that happen to us as women. So uh, what I learned a lot was that my story may be unique, but the themes in my story are pretty common. Right. And that's what helps us all tap into that and take our own um, lessons from reading somebody else's story. I think that's the beauty of the memoir. You know, it's so fascinating to get to experience somebody else's life and see what they've gone through and, and, um, learn from that, but then apply it to our own lives because we all have these themes threading through our own lives. There are only so many things, you know, that we can tap into. That's that collective unconsciousness. Totally. I love that. You touched on something a second ago when you said you're, writing teacher said to just write. I call writing brain thinking, basically, because I'm a fiction writer also. And even in writing fiction, so much of my stories evolve and, you know, just just come out through the writing process, things that I never could have planned. And writing nonfiction as well, or memoirs, I think that, you know, that's been my experience as well, that I don't necessarily remember something, but then I start writing and there's a trigger and, you know, all of a sudden there's this avalanche 
of you know memories and and content coming out. So can you speak to that and and how much of your process was sort of pre-planned and how much came about really organically through the writing process? Yeah, I wouldn't say a lot was pre-planned. Um, I, I had uh, short stories that I had started really almost 20 years ago. And um, what, when I started putting the post-its on the wall, I realized, ooh, I have some holes. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't write about my first marriage that failed or I didn't write about some other things. So um, I think the process of just writing uh, just made me a better writer. Uh, I, I tell my kids, um, I have one in college and one in high school. And, and when they're writing papers, I'm like, the first draft is never the final draft. And they're like, uh, <laughs> I don't want to do another draft. And so what I have found is that, um, yeah, it becomes organic. And there's a lot of things that either get triggered or there's a memory. And for me, a lot is music. I hear a song and I'll remember something from my past and um, I carry a notebook um, like this. I have a, you know, I have millions of, not millions, but many (laughs) that, that, that I write notes and then I type faster than I can actually write. So I have notes that I look at and um, I would write the stuff and, and again, the same writing teacher, she had me do this exercise. This was decades ago of, um, a quadrant and in the quadrant was, um, was a color in each quadrant, like blue, yellow, orange, green, red. And then I had to do the senses for each quadrant. Like what does blue smell like? What does it taste like? What does it sound like? What does it feel like? What does it hear like? And um, I, for me, the process was, it really forced me, I looked at my senses, not just telling the story, like I went down the street with my dog and saw, blah, you know, whatever, so that you're, um, I kept coming back to the senses of what can I add so that my reader can really feel like they're in New York City or in Seattle or in Athens, um, Greece, or, you know, all the different places in my book. And I think the process was I would write, but then I would go back and then I would um, change the verbs. Like I would take out the thesaurus and try to get um, more verbs. And then I would go back and say, okay, I haven't said anything about how it smells like or how it tastes like or what the sounds were. So it was this kind of layering approach and at least at least having, it's almost like having the outline for a term paper. If I had that outline and then I could start filling in with richer language and also the senses, I felt like the chapters were better. But each of my chapters, I, I, I probably edited at least five times, maybe 10 times. Um, but it was just more just write and get it out there. And then yeah. if I started thinking about the other pieces, then it just became a richer, uh, richer chapter. Yeah. So I was recently speaking with uh, Zara Altair, who's a fiction writer, and she just dropped this little tidbit that Walter Mosley apparently <laughs> revises 40 times one piece. Wow. I know. <laughs> That's what I said. I just about dropped 40 times. And, you know, I edit and revise however much a particular piece needs to be edited and revised. And it always does. And 
four to five is kind of, I'm right in there with you, but 40, I was like, wow. So you can <laughs> kind of go overboard. <laughs> Although, you know, he is Walter Mosley. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you touched on another thing. You're, you're kind of working my way through my questions. Um, so sensory language, that is something that I tap into and we have exercises in, in my memoir class as well, because that is showing versus telling. I mean, you've got to kind of tap into those senses in order to bring a scene alive in whatever way you want to. And you mentioned that you have these settings and, uh, you know, Seattle and Athens and New York. And, you know, when I think of a certain books, for example, Gone with the Wind, I think Atlanta is a character in that right. city. You know, the, some books really paint a picture and bring a place alive. And I felt that way with New York. And so I'm wondering, again, how much is intentional and how much just kind of evolved and, you know, made this into a character in your book? That was actually very intentional. Um, I had written a fair amount about New York City because I felt like it was another character for me. As an only child, I spent a lot of time walking the streets of New York and going to Central Park and a lot of time by myself with my dog and the city. And the city to me is alive. It's not just concrete and trees. Um, so that was that was very... Um, intentional um to make that character and i guess i don't feel that way about the, the other cities that i talked about because i didn't um i didn't spend as much time uh really talking about seattle or talking about washington dc or or athens um greece um because for me new york just had such a uh huge impact on who i am and just was part of my life growing up so do you think that's what it boils down to is your experience in a place and the impact that place has on you versus anybody can step into Seattle and New York? And are they going to have the same sort of visceral experience because the city is pulsing with activity and life and all of that? You know, I never really thought about it. You're the first person to ask me that. It's kind of now I'm kicking myself. I'm like, oh, should have written more about Washington DC. So I don't know if it's an either or. I think it's more of like, you know, the author, how how you feel. And um again, because I was a latchkey kid and spent so much time alone that New York was almost like another parent. I learned mm -hmm. so much from the actual city and the other cities I lived in, but I don't feel like learned from the city. I learned from mm -hmm. the experiences I had, my jobs or friends. But New York was almost like a, a teacher. And I think that, you know, in terms of creating place, a place has an identity and there are other cities that simply don't have identity. So it would be very, I'd be very hard pressed to, you know, turn Elk Grove, California, where we spent 10 years into an, you know, a character in a book, that would be pretty tough. But, you know, Seattle does have a culture. It does have an identity. New York does. Dallas does. You know, certain places do. And that helps, I think, bring it alive, which I think is actually just really interesting. I haven't ever talked about this with anybody before. But, you know, the idea of a place having such a strong identity and, and where that comes from. Why does this city have so much identity and this one doesn't? Yeah. 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 For me, it was just an all encompassing 
place for, for me and just had such an impact of who I am. This episode is sponsored by the Writer Spark course, What's Your Story? Do you have a story to tell? The short answer is yes. The long answer is that everyone has a life story worthy of telling. Whatever your life experience is, you can turn them into a memoir. Have you experienced a life-changing event? Do you have a foundational friendship, an amazing job or career, or a family story? Are you a survivor? Do you have deep convictions? We all have stories to tell. Even the ordinary can become extraordinary when you put pen to paper. Writer Spark's What's Your Story memoir class is a self-paced course designed to help you dive into the process of writing your memoir. Learn more at writersparkacademy.com. Earlier, you touched on something else, and you said that only half of what you wrote actually made it into this book. So I would love to hear about how you made those choices, what to put in this book, and if that was sort of theme-related as you developed the themes, and also if you are going to write a second memoir with the other half of the book. <laughs> um. Well, it was actually um, what I tell everybody that's, uh, you know, wanting to write, I say, find a good editor. So <laughs> I found a good editor. Um, I had three editors for this process. So I hired my own editor to help me with the narrative of arc. And she, she saw things I didn't see as well um in in the book. And I was like, oh, I, I hadn't thought about that. Uh, so, so. Um, she helped me narrow down some of the extraneous things that she thought just took away from the story. We're, we're interesting stories. I have like lots of stories, but she said, okay, it's kind of like takes you off track. Like you don't need, I mean, like great story, but why are you telling it? Like, what, what is the, what is the reader learning? Um, what was hard for me is, um, I wrote a lot of dialogue, which I thought was great. Um, uh, but the second editor that was from my publisher just said the dialogue is great, but this is, this book is too long. So we need to cut the dialogue. So it just became, um, just more of the advice I got from the publisher of what is the length of a typical memoir. And, um, and then what I had was way too long. So that was really painful of, um, cutting dialogue was really, really hard. Um, and, mm. you know, my, like so many authors, my dream is for this to, uh, become, you know, a TV series or a movie. And, and I think, Oh, I already have the dialogue. I can give you the dialogue. <laughs> so I wrote yeah. it already. Um, right. but it was, uh, so, so it was my editor, then the publisher's editor. And then, um, because I have a political background, I talk, um, I had more actually elected officials in there and, um, the publisher had an editor that was, uh, specialized in libel. Um, mm. uh, so there are some things that are taken out mainly, not that I'm bad mouthing anybody, but just, um, things that protection. were again, protection, you know, do I really need to say that or not that, you know, whatever it, because I, I don't want anybody to sue me. So so I, I learned a lot. I learned a, yeah, I learned, I learned a lot through that process of, um, 
I guess, you know, I don't know if this is a question to you, but the, the big thing I learned is that when you write a memoir, you don't have to write, you know, you're not writing an autobiography. So exactly. Um, so that was the, I would say that was the biggest lesson for me. And I kept saying, Oh, that's a really interesting story or that's an interesting story. But um, my editor really kept me on task to say, okay, does this support these themes of authenticity, honesty, transparency, and looking for your dad? And I'm like, no, it's just a funny story. (laughs) (laughs) So that was, that was hard. That is hard. That's, I think that's a difficult um, concept for writers, memoirists, aspiring memoirists to really embrace that not everything needs to be told. It does not need to be told chronologically. It does not need to start. I mean, yours did start when you were young for reasons connected to your book, but not every memoir needs to start when you're young, you know, and doesn't need to go all the way through every step of your life. You pull out those themes and you write multiple memoirs based on the different, you know, paths that you are taking with each different one. Each different one. That didn't sound very good. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I understand what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So I, you know, everybody has their traumas. And, you know, one of the things I tell my students is that, you know, you don't have to have trauma to write a memoir. You don't have to have trauma to write a story, right? You, Everybody has a story and it's how you put it down on paper. That being said, you know, we've gone through some things and I've tried to write about them in the past. And it was so difficult because as you said, it it brings up emotions, music and scents, you know, smells and, and different things. And I'm a highly emotional person as any one of my children would tell you. (laughs) Uh, It was just so emotionally draining. I just really struggled with it. Now, 20 years later, I'm at a much better place and I've, you know, accepted things and I can write about some of those things with a little bit more distance. But my question to you is how do you handle the emotions of your stories during the writing process? How do you not get sort of derailed by those emotions or do you, and did it take a long time to kind of work through this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, trauma is such an interesting thing. Uh, someone asked me that question is, you know, are, if, when you're asking memoirist, people that write memoirs to yeah. write about trauma, um, are you asking those writers to relive their trauma? And I think for everybody, it's different. Uh, it was definitely hard to write. And there were times uh, where I would just have to put stuff down and and then I couldn't write for a couple of days. I would definitely cry when I would write. But the thing that inspired me, the the North Star, for lack of a better word, is um, I wanted to share my trauma because I know other women have been sexually assaulted. And I said, you know, I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to feel like a victim. I want to um, to own it to describe it um and um and then just kind of show that um for me that trauma propelled me to want to work in a field where i could make a difference so i kept thinking about how can i write it in a way that could help other people so it's not just my my catharsis which there was some but mainly 
can I write it in a way that is impactful for other people that you're not going through every graphic detail, but understanding mm -hmm. the emotional side of it and that could it help other women talk about their trauma and um and then just move forward but i think every writer's got to decide how they want to do it i i wrote it the way i did and um again not in graphic detail but enough detail to to so that the reader knows what's going on and um i've already gotten amazing feedback from women that I had never known who had been raped and sexually assaulted that I'd known for 20 years, 30 years. And after they read my book, they shared with me their stories. And I think sometimes it's safer to tell your story when you know somebody else has gone through that themselves, because often when it happens, at least when it happened to me, like so many people, I didn't even know what it was. Um, mm. It wasn't until years later till a therapist explain to me <laughs> what had happened that's like oh mm -hmm. um uh, so i think just being empathetic to others but just i think sometimes like everything when we feel a kinship or some people would understand um what they've gone through that that they may be able to share it so that's kind of that's the lens that i kept looking through is like can i can i use my hardship as a way to help somebody else that's gone through this yeah, I love the idea of you you being a voice to help bring other people out or help them understand what they went through. If you didn't understand what you had gone through and a therapist helped you, but what about these five women who didn't go to a therapist and who've been living with this? And so what you have written can help, you know, create a bridge for them to deepen their understanding of of what they went through and what they need to do from this moment on. That's powerful. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's my hope. That's my hope. Yeah, and I love the concept of the North Star. You know, this is that. You know, when you're writing fiction, too, it's very easy to get off track and write something that you just love. This is a scene that's so perfect, but it has nothing to do with your story, and that's when you have to cut. But having the idea that there's this North Star always guiding you, there's this hero's journey, there's this, you know, whatever it is that can keep you focused, I think is a, a great visual, just a great analogy for the writing process and, and how you stay kind of true to what you're trying to create here. Yeah, thank you. So you talk about discovering your biological father through the DNA. So what was that like? Because, you know, I, I hear stories. I sat next to this lady on the airplane one time who was coming back from Texas. I'm in North Carolina. So she was coming from Texas to North Carolina, as was I. And she was visiting her biological father for the first time. And, you know, she didn't know that her, the father who raised her was not her biological father until he had already passed. And then her mother was like, oh, well, who's that? You know, it was a one night stand kind of a thing. <laughs> like blows up your life, right? So you know, you hear all of these stories, but you set out with a different intention. But what was that, you know, process like for you? Well, it was a lifelong process, which is, um, you know, if your listeners read the book, which I hope they do, um, you know, it's something from the very, unlike a lot of people, um, like the story that you told, uh, the consumer DNA is shedding a lot of secrets of people that <laughs> their dads that they thought were their dads are not their dads. So I never had a dad. So that was always a whole, so that was always a question. And um, just a, just a brief description in the book is that my mother 
who was a stewardess in the 60s. Um, and there were a lot of married businessmen that were on the planes at the time. So uh, she had an affair with a, a married man that she was totally in love with. And she put his name on my birth certificate, but he was not my biological father, but I thought he was until I was like almost 20 years old. And so I won't go into all the details. So then, then there was another um, prospect. Um, so then for years, I thought he was my biological father, uh, but he never acknowledged me. I never met him. I talked to his, um, his wife um, who said, you know, you probably nice young lady, but he's not your father. Stop talking to us. Um, so I think it brings up a lot of stuff for lots of people. I just wanted to, I, I got sick in my twenties. Um, I got, uh, seizures and I thought if I found my biological father and then the third one is, um, because my kids are adopted, the whole family, we did 23 and me and ancestry just thought, you know, we could find some stuff out about our kids and, and us as well. And, um, I had my mother do it. And then when she, in 23 and me you can see the biological profile of your mother and the biological profile of your father and what's so interesting for so many of these people is that then i saw the different nationalities and she had always told me he was this german from bavaria and then the dna profile had like norwegian and german and irish and like all the stuff and i was like no this is an american so i think the process was long for me um, it really closed a loop for me, like, oh, and when I, I never got to meet him, but when I read his obituary, um, I realized he was so much like me and it just, because I'm not like my mother at all. <laughs> so I was just like, oh, it's not just passing on hair color and eye color. It's so much more. Um, so the process was, um, was wonderful in, in the side that I finally figured it out. Um, but sad on the other hand that he had just died one year before I found him. Um, so I never got to meet him, but now I have cousins that I never had and um, they're actually coming to one of my book, uh, book parties. Um, uh, so, and so I've been in touch with them. So I think the process is hard and what, what do you, again, I always the question, what do you learn from there? So, I guess family is what you create. And as even though I have new cousins, I don't have history. So I have way more history with close girlfriends that I've had for 30 years than um, family. So family, I think is kind of what you create and what you want to get out of it. But I think as Americans, we're always curious. And so it's answered a lot of questions for me. Um, but it's hard to fill the hole that was there for so many decades. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it make it forces you in your situation to reframe what you thought you knew, you know, and, and to be open to understanding that what you thought you knew about yourself and your background is actually not the case at all. And then how do you kind of make that shift? I mean, there's a, that's a lot to sort of deal yeah. with. Yeah. 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 And, and actually I've kind of used it as a lesson tool for my kids. So, um, cause they, uh, one son knows his biological mother, but my other son doesn't know his biological parents. So, um, I've kind of said, well, who knows, you know, maybe when you're my age, you'll find them as well. And 
but I, I just always say to them, what's most important is the family that we've created. So. Exactly. You know, I say that too, is we've had, um, couple of people over the years, friends of my kids come into our lives and stay in our lives. And, um, you know, we've become family and they've become family. And so I always say, you know, you're born with the family you're born with, but then the family you choose also, you know, this is, these are the people that you choose to surround yourself with and you choose them as your family. And, you know, two beautiful, equally important sides of that coin. Right. Exactly. Um, okay. So, do you have any tips for aspiring memoirists or people that, you know, just have this inkling of an idea that they'd love to tell some part of their story? Well, for me, the things that helped a lot was having a group of people that were my guinea pigs <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that I would send um, not the whole story cause I didn't really have it in the beginning, but just little tidbits and they'd say, Oh yeah, this is good. I want to know about more about X. Um, so I think having your own kind of beta testing group, uh, for your stories and then trying to think about, we often don't think about like, once the story is written, what do you want your readers to come away with? And so I, I think I thought about that a lot and mainly because of my work. That's what I do in communications. Um, so um, I think that's an important thing. And, and it's hard to start writing like that. But when you just write and then you have some interesting stories and get some feedback from some close friends or family, whomever it is, and then you figure out, okay, so if this is a story I want to tell, what do I want the reader to do or feel or think after they've read it? And um to me, that was, again, that was my North Star. It's like mm-hmm. uh, what a lot of people have said to me, you know, you were brutally honest. And I live in a small town. I had one at my local bookstore. They said, you know, how you feel like now in a small town, everybody knows your secrets. And I'm like, hey, if it helps one person mm-hmm. um, with their trauma, I don't really care. Um, but you have to decide that for yourself because not everybody wants to be that honest or 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 that's not the goal of the the book, you know, there may be something mm-hmm. else that they want to write. So I, I, to me, the big things were having a North star, of, you know, what are you trying to accomplish knowing what kind of audience you want to reach and what you want them to learn. And then just writing stories and having some people give you feedback. Yeah. And not being um, heavy handed with it, I think is important. Also your, your, your goal is not to tell a story and say what I learned here, what you can learn from this is, but oh, right. it's all embedded into the writing process and, and is revealed as, as you are writing. And so is revealed as somebody is reading it, you know, you're not teaching an explicit moral necessarily. So Correct. I think that that's um, something to really be cognizant of, I think, as you're writing. And and whenever you find yourself saying, you know, this is what I learned. No, no, no. X, X, X. <laughs> and figure out how to embed that in. But yeah. yes. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's why you need the editor too. <laughs> well, yeah. And I have to say, I mean, again, the feedback that I've gotten, um, I have thoughts, I have two books in mind that I want to write next. Um, and, you know, one of them is, uh, I don't know enough about my grandmother, but I might write a novel about her based based on her, the stories that I know, but I'm going to have to fill in some fiction because um, mm-hmm. I don't know everything. Uh, 
it's interesting when you write then the feedback that you get. So I've gotten a fair amount of feedback from people like, oh, I want to know more about your grandmother. I do too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the other one was really for me, again, the, the theme is that, um, you know, not what I learned, but it's happened numerous times from actually grammar school um, classmates I've heard and, and some people that I've worked with of uh, don't judge people by their cover, right? Don't judge book by their cover. Like there's so many nuances to people and you have no idea what's going on underneath. And so I think that's the interesting part when you write a memoir that you're sharing something that people would not expect from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes I think you're sharing things you don't even know about yourself until you've gone through this process and then you are burying yourself. I mean, it's very personal and people are quick to judge, you know, and so you have to also be prepared for that, that sort of judgment and not the critics out there, you know, who are going to say, oh, this was wonderful or this sucked or this didn't apply to me or whatever, you know, and and they're not always kind, these people. No, no. (laughs) Yeah. So you have to really... um, Prepare yourself if your intent is to publish, you know, rather than writing it. Like my parents wrote their memoirs, which is what motivated me to create this memoir writing class. But, you know, it's for us. It's for their family. Their intent was never to publish it. So that's a little bit different. But even so, you know, at a couple points, we're like, Mom, are you sure you want to say that about your cousin? (laughs) 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 Kidding. Um, Okay, so. (laughs) One last uh, question I have. This has been so great talking to you. I've really enjoyed it. But my last question for you is, what is, what was your process for getting your memoir published? You know, if you are Michelle Obama or Will Smith or Matthew McConaughey or, you know, any of these celebrity names, it's a piece of cake, right? Not so much a piece of cake for you know, any ordinary person and you fall definitely somewhere in between because you, you do have this career and this presence, you know, so what, you know, what was that process like? And then any, any thoughts on how an ordinary person might get their memoir published? (laughs) Interesting. Um, Well, I was just at the American Library Association annual meeting this past weekend in Chicago, Mm -hmm. and um, the amount of publishers that are out there, I was like, I couldn't believe it. Um, uh, Yeah, it was, I was overwhelmed. I mean, I grew up in New York City, but just the the sensory overload of, Mm -hmm. you know, there was the Penguin and Simon Schuster and all the ones that are very well known, but there were so many small presses. So mm-hmm. I would say a couple of things. Um, one, I got very lucky in that um, my first editor that I hired, uh, she loved my book so much that she um, that she recommended me to my publisher. Oh, nice. So I really lucked out. Um, other people, I mean, there are services out there that you can pay somebody to find a publisher for you and that mm-hmm. you got to spend money. Um, and then the other thing is finding niches because there, um, there's different types of publishers. There's, um, I don't know how much your right, your listeners know, but you know, there's your traditional publishing, um, and you know, those usually take the big names, but they also take mm-hmm. a bigger cut. They take a bigger percentage of your mm-hmm. writing. Uh, and then there's the called the hybrid pu- publishing, 
where you partner with a publisher, and, but you get more of a percentage back. And then there's the self-publishing. Um, mm-hmm. So what I w- the track I was going down um, for myself, actually, I was finding publishers that specialized in uh, women's stories, um, doing women authors. So they're out there. Um, but I, I lucked out, but I would say for any writer, um, they need to, um, as difficult it was to write the story, the hardest part has been really is the working with the publisher editing to be, you know, perfect of the book, but even more so is the marketing because, Mm -hmm. um, you have to self-market. So publishers really don't, unless you're, um, you know, Prince Harry, um, or, or you're hiring a publicist for five grand a month. Um, mm-hmm. it is very, it is very time consuming. And, um, that is the part that I do not like at all of constantly selling myself and my book mm-hmm. and talking like, Oh yes, read my book, um, or posting on social media. But publishers look at that, like how big is your social media following? How, how well known are you? Do you have a affinity groups. So I would say the finding a publisher is one part of it, but the other part is just making sure you either have the time or the budget to do the marketing because it's so rare that the publishers are going to do it for you. And the desire and the energy because it is, it's nonstop. You know, you just have to keep your, your book will sell hopefully as long as you keep marketing it, you know, but the moment you stop, that's it. It goes away. Yeah, exactly. It's a commitment. Yeah. Yeah. But you're so right about having um, a an built-in audience. You know, publishers look at that. And agents, do you have an agent? No, I do not. You went straight to the publisher. Well, so yeah, the the agents and, and editors at the publishing houses, I mean, they're going to look at those followings, especially for nonfiction books and memoirs, because they want to know that there are people out there already primed and ready to buy. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I was lucky, like Obama, uh, the Obama alumni newsletter, you know, put my book in the newsletter and, um, I'm working to do the same thing. Yeah, that's, you know, so that's just, that goes just to the staffers, but you know, that's hundreds of people. So, Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, you just using anything, but they, when they were interviewing me, like they didn't just become my publisher because my editor said, you know, I had to do this whole questionnaire that mm-hmm. talked about which, who is my target audience and who could I reach through my network. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And I don't know the agent route. So, um, I didn't find an agent. Um, you know, I might still try to find one, but I just, I just went the route that, that the path that was uh, open to me. So I just started there. Yeah. If you write the sort of uh, narrative nonfiction or fiction, nonfiction hybrid that you're talking about, I think an agent probably is the way to go unless you plan to indie publish it, but fiction is sort of a different beast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Robin, thank you so much for being here. This has been fascinating. And I loved, I loved speaking with you. I loved hearing your stories. I loved reading your book. And I hope that everybody does go read it. Um, tell us where they can find it and where they can find you. Uh, yeah, sure. So I have a website that's Robin F. Shepper. Um, so S-C-H-E-P-P-E-R, author.com. 
Um, and I have a list of all the different places you can get it. So Barnes and Noble, Amazon, um, it's on Kindle. It's, uh, there's a, um, also an audiobook. So on all the Spotify, Apple, um, Audible, it's on all, all the platforms, obviously on Amazon, like everybody else and in your local bookstore. So I hope uh, your listeners uh, read my book. It's called Finding My Way, uh, a memoir about family identity and political ambition. Yeah, I hope everyone goes out and reads it too. Order it from your indie bookstores. Uh, every, all of that will also be in the show notes for everybody listening. So you'll be able to to find that as well. Yeah. All right, Robin, thank you so much for being here again. I appreciate your time and the opportunity to chat with you about memoirs. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening and spending your time with me today, everyone. I'm Melissa Bourbon, and this is the Writer Spark Podcast. Take a moment to visit our website at www.writersparkacademy.com. Check out our courses, our resources, and all the content there. And I will see you next time. Until then, happy writing.